So with the platform, our, our goal is to, you know, really democratize sophisticated email marketing, SMS marketing for the everyday brands. So whether you're a mom and pop using Shopify, we have a plug and play integration with Shopify, Shopify Plus, BigCommerce, WooCommerce. So if you're on one of these e-com platforms, plug and play with us. Greg Zakowitz. It is good to have you here at Ecomotics. What's new with you? How's it, how are things going? Joseph, so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for the conversation today. What's new with me? Uh, so this will come out after we record it, and hopefully I will still be in the same frame of mind. But go Bills. I've, I've been a lifelong <laughs> Buffalo Bills sufferer. Uh, last couple of years have been very <laughs> fun. But So we are recording this a few days before the Bills play the Kansas City Chiefs. Winner will go to the Super Bowl. So... That is what's new with me. It's looking pretty likely that it's going to be uh, Green Bay coming from coming in from the other side. Um, I, I used to do audio editing, and well, I still have one uh, show that I that I work on just to kind of like make sure my skills don't get rusty. And it is a Green Bay Packers podcast, so I have <laughs> over time, you know, like through osmosis, become a Green Bay Packers fan. But I I I feel for you when you say a longtime Bill sufferer. I I was not really much of a sports guy, uh, but when I was a kid, <laughs> I legally acquired one of uh, Chris Rock's um, uh, stand-up specials. And I, I mean, I had listened to that thing like seven or eight times. And at one point, he says something. I forget what he was describing, but he said it was even less likely than the Bills of winning the Super Bowl. And the audience, <laughs> that was the only boo I think he's ever gotten in his career, <laughs> especially that, that one set. You cannot escape Bills fans. They are everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere. So you got to be careful when you when you say that. You just know you're going to get booed at some point. So uh, my oldest son, he's nine. He is an Aaron Rodgers fan. So he obviously roots for Green Bay. I encourage him to root for whoever he roots for. So it's fine with me. He is now, as of this past Christmas, a, a Green Bay stock owner. So he is super pumped about Green Bay this weekend. And I do think they will be in the Super Bowl as well. So, all right. All right. Last comment on it. And then we'll, we'll switch to e-commerce. I, pro <laughs> I promise. I promise. But I'm, I, I, I like this. So what's new thing? It's, uh, it's, it's going pretty well so far. I, I think this is going to be, then this is what they're, what the, my, the experts on the podcast are saying. But this is basically like Aaron Rodgers' last chance to get to that second echelon of uh, Hall of Famers. He's won a Super Bowl, you know, but he's got, he, he wants to be like the two-time winner. That's a very, very small group of people who made it there. So I, I think the narrative is lining up for it, but but we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm, for, for once in my life, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope so. I hope so. And, and I love that Aaron Rodgers is a prick. I, I just love, <laughs> I just love the, the, some of the things that he's done. So I, I admire, I admire that about him. Okay. This is an e-commerce show, but nonetheless, I, I, am, I do not regret the whole what's new thing. I'm going to keep on going with that. So the on subject opening question for you is tell us, what do you do these days? What are you up to? So uh, to put a little, I'll, I'll make this quick about my background. You can dig in as much as you want to, but the audience. So I, uh, I am a e-commerce expert for a company called OmniSend. We are an email and SMS automate marketing automation provider that is specifically built for e-commerce brands. We're talking DTC brands. How I always like to say it, if you get a shopping cart on your site, probably a good fit for you. So with the platform, our, our goal is to uh, you know really democratize sophisticated email marketing, SMS marketing for the everyday brand. So whether you're a mom and pop using Shopify, we have a plug and play integration with Shopify, Shopify Plus, BigCommerce, WooCommerce. So if you're on one of these e-com platforms, plug and play with us. 
you know, we make it affordable. We can uh, interchange all our, you know, SMS marketing into the same automation as email. You don't have to pay extra for, uh, for services, things like that. So e-commerce brand. So obviously we're looking at that all day long, right? We're, we've got uh, DTC brands, over 70,000 of them that are using OmniSend. So we're constantly talking to clients. We're keeping our hand on the pulse of, you know, what's happening in e-commerce and from a marketing standpoint and things like that. So uh, that is what I'm up to. My job is really to go on podcasts like this, to look at data, to produce uh, stats reports, to speak on webinars, and really just stay on top of what's going on with D2C brands. And that's kind of where I fit into the role. So that's kind of what I'm doing in Omniset right now. And it seems to be a continuation of uh, a previous part of your career, because we do know yeah. that you have a broadcast um, uh, background. Um, and then you also are hosting a podcast yourself. I type in Greg Zakowitz on YouTube and I go just go with like whatever the, <laughs> the first hits are. So uh, I was, is, is the podcast still going these days? It is. We've, we've taken a bit of a hiatus and this is more just a personal bandwidth. So we, uh, we had a probably Q3 of 2021. We, we put out our last episode. We'll probably be kicking it back up here sometime soon. Uh, holidays crept into it. We had just pulled in other directions. We're still a growing organization. Nicely growing organization, just across 200 employees, which is awesome, but mm-hmm. uh, really much bandwidth. So you're right. I, you would never know I have a radio background. I think my my speaking has gotten lazy over the years, uh, which is not good because you do a lot of public speaking, or at least I do. So uh, it's there. But it's crazy to think about. I used to work in radio, went to school for it. Marketing was kind of my, uh, my secondary career fallback, if you will, which I transitioned to pretty quickly. I've been in the email game for over 15 years, which if you think about that, like that seems like an attorney go. So I started off as a practitioner and then went to a marketing consultant with another email provider 10 plus years ago. So I've been in the email provider space for a long time and then switched to a data analyst role, a marketing analyst role. And now I'm in, uh, over kind of in a similar scope with, with this provider now. So I've been in the game for a long time. I do, yeah, I do a uh, uh, podcast, which is Cart Insiders. So we've done three seasons before we've done a holiday specific one. Generally, the conversations there are speaking with DDC brands and just kind of digging into how they're finding success with marketing. So um, this the, the last season we did in Q3 last year was we did, I think it was maybe seven different brands on very specific topics. So if you want to know how one brand succeeded doing a welcome series or doing a cart abandonment series or browse abandonment series, we just dug into... How'd you come up with the content? What are you doing from a timing? Do you incentivize in there? And we have the brand walk us through how they did it, you know, executing with limited resources, things like that. And they just kind of spelled out their game plan for us. And here's the blueprint. Go do it. And my job is really just to facilitate those conversations, as I'm sure you know. Right? Mm-hmm. What I what I find admirable is um, the position that you're in right now seems to be a culmination of a lot of the different areas that you've been working on. Obviously, the broadcast comes through, uh, but also mm-hmm. your time in the email space and, and, and in the marketing space. And it all basically coalesced into, into a very distinctive and unique position. And I think that's telling of what not just, you know, e-commerce, but really like the, you know, the internet and digital age is I, I had to make a job up from scratch a few years ago. And I, you know, I got fired from my last sales job. Says, All right, that does it. I'm just going to get into podcasting. And, you know, <laughs> little by little, it actually ended up being a rather, rather lucrative. So is this something that, that occurred to you as well? And like, what point did you start to realize that everything that you were working on was really all kind of like meeting in the center here? You know, I think like most things in life, I think it's somewhat, work, somewhat skill, somewhat luck, right? Luck is always has to be a part of it. Uh, oh, yeah. Somewhat just doing a good job. So 
I think it just kind of morphs into it. And I'll, I'll try to, if your listeners have ever listened to me before, they know my short answers are quite long. I'll, I'll go on tangents. So I'll try to. Well, this uh, is very this pro tangent territory. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're all about that. I, I guess now that we're getting super meta about it, but like, I like the idea that, you know, I like people giving, giving people the opportunity to just you know think out loud and go through it. it gives me more things to you know pay attention to and see what I can extract from. So to future guests, past guests, everybody Perfect. involved, go for it. Perfect. So really how it worked is I never, I never set out to, I've always wanted to be some sort of public speaker, right? But it was never anything where I had experience doing. It was never anything where I had opportunities to do. And that's a whole different ball game with, especially based on the niche and what you're speaking in. So that was something that was always in the back of my mind, which I think propelled me and got me to take in the steps from step A to step B to step C, kind of get there or get close to there. And everything else just kind of fell in place. So when I was doing, when I switched from email practitioner, went to work for an email provider, which was a startup at the time here in North Carolina, which is where I'm based, I was a marketing consultant. So really just consulting D2C brands on their marketing programs, some huge companies, some mom and pops, right? And trying to get their, their programs uh, solidified, built, launched in place, uh, growing. And with my role there, I was just one of these guys that would kind of look at those... I could identify those trends, right? Because you're working with, say, 20 different clients. You can see, hey, you know, something's shifting with this client here. And then you see, you know, two days later, you see a different client in a different industry or a different vertical... And you're seeing those same shifts. And it's a lot easier when you're digging into people's accounts and you're doing marketing for different verticals to see these trends kind of evolve. And then you can sit there as a consultant and say, okay, how do I adapt these trends across the board to all my clients? And I was really, I was really good at picking those trends up. What that ultimately led to was our marketing department internally saying, hey, we need some advice here, or we got this content piece, or we need a panelist for this uh, upcoming conference you're good at this stuff. Would you like to contribute to it? And I just slowly got involved in that. And then eventually that side of marketing and, and speaking became kind of a second addition to my job, which was not the goal going in, but it was like, Hey, you're really good at speaking. You're really good at kind of controlling the audience on stage. Would you like to do more of it? And I was like, sure. And you always go through those bumps and you, you figure it out, right? It's practice makes perfect uh, or practice makes progress, I guess. Maybe a different different way to say it. So it does seem more realistic. Yeah. You just kind of get better at it, right? And you clean up certain things, but then you're still applying tools from one side. I'm a very holistic person. So I, I in marketing, I don't think there's one single thing you do that does not touch anything else in the organization. These things all touch whether people want to admit or not, every single thing you do touches something else. I was just good at picking those things up. And then eventually with the company, we had someone that was kind of serving the role that I fell into there. They were kind of that point content person. They were, in fact, no speaker. It wasn't quite as pronounced, but he decided to leave for a different opportunity. He was just getting burned out. And their instinctive thing was they approached me and they said, Hey, would you like to switch jobs and come over and do this full time? And I'm like, Yes. Uh, be great. It's what I want to do. So a lot of it was timing. A lot of it was luck. A lot of it was piecing things together and, and just being able to apply those things. You know, I did that for a couple of years over there. And then this opportunity at Omnisun came up to kind of uh, spearhead their content department. So I came over as director of content. And part of that job was also what I'm doing now. So as the company grew, we kind of st- stabilized the content, the content department there. Then we had these internal conversations like, are my skills better used kind of like managing a group of just kind of like facilitating things or using my skill set to go out and do what I was doing before? And I think we all made the decision that, yeah, this is 
this is kind of what I'm doing, right? This is a lot more fun for me. Uh, and I'm looking at data a lot more rather than looking at who to assign the next project to. So we, I kind of made that transition a few months ago, but it's just something I've been doing since I joined OmniSend here. So uh, it's been a really long kind of journey for it. And it wasn't one I was going into and expecting, but it just kind of happened, right? And the podcasting was the same way with the last company. We're sitting there and we're just in a meeting. We're like, what can we do? And I'm like, Let's launch a podcast. Let's talk about this. You know, we do it. On, we we find value in public speaking on stage and getting that notoriety. Why don't we just kind of control that narrative? It was literally where I said this. And someone goes, "You hosting?" And I said, "Yes." And they go, <laughs> "Okay, write up a plan, right?" And a few months later, we we launched a podcast, and that thing grew. I mean, we had that thing going every other week for two and a half years. You know, there was there was no control. It was just me. And they're like, I had these initial concerns like, hey, do we have companies that are not using us that are using competitors? And they go, we don't care. Right. So I had I had this full authority just kind of host a podcast that I thought would be entertaining and useful for audiences. We covered topics. I, I had a five-year-old on one episode that kind of figure out like, what does a five-year-old know about marketing? And what do they know about Alexa at the time, right? Do they know what Amazon is, right? And it was really interesting because the five-year-old who happened to be my son, but you know, I don't really talk about e-commerce at home with them. It was interesting to get, get his perspective about like what the world and the environment is around. And if a five-year-old knows, then we've got to be thinking that a 20, a 30, a four-year-old person's got to know these things. So we grew that audience really, really well. And then we came over to OmniSend and we kind of we had these great customers. We weren't really telling their stories well, but they had so much cool things to so many cool things to tell. And we're like, let's do the same thing here. Right. And we started doing that. And you know, we're we're kind of finding our way through it, which is cool. So one of the points that you made that I think is telling is all aspects of the business are interconnected. There, there's very little, if any, compartmentalization. And so what I'm wondering with regards to the podcast is that how was that having an influence on all of these other areas and how was the podcast connected to it? I would imagine it has to do with it. You know, you hear the answers, you're getting, you're getting research, you're learning skills and, and, and techniques that other people were using, which you can then apply. But from your point of view, how was it um, a part of the ecosystem? It's interesting because part of it is self-serving for the company. And then part of it is self-serving for the customer, the guest, whoever comes on, right? The guest always has something they want you to know, like right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's totally, like, yeah, totally agree with like, that. Go buy Omnisend, right? That's what, yeah. that's my shameless plug, right? But I try to deliver in in practical, you know, knowledge, and, uh, you know, things like that. So, and then there's all the other aspects. So from a company standpoint, we want our customers to be our advocates for us. I think every company, whether you're a B2B company or a D2C company, you want social proof. You want everyone else to know, hey, someone else is finding success with you. If we can have our customers tell their own stories, a D2C brand listening to another D2C brand telling about how they have very few resources, they don't have unlimited budgets, but they're able to do these great things and just accelerate their sales and provide a better customer journey, just like an IR500 company could or an enterprise company can. I think it's telling for companies. So from a brand standpoint, we have our customers tell the value of our, us. Customers get a little more publicity out of it, but they also, you know, all things connected, they get exposure on podcasts, they get experience, they build their own personal brand, they build their company's brand on there. So those things are connected. But then from a, a you know, a B2B standpoint, we want customer success stories. So we foster those relationships. I was I was dropping an email with uh, someone who was on my podcast last year. We've done a uh, customer success story with them as well, which I mean, these things kind of go side by side. And we were just blasting an email back and forth, just chatting, right? Now we've got these personal relationships in there. 
they ever need something, right? If they're having issues with anything, they could just drop me an email. They know I'm going to respond to them, right? So it's like these bonds last a long time. So we talk about things internally being holistic. These things stretch all over the place, right? And I'm still talking to people who were on my podcast four years ago, right? And we're we're friends and you know, they might have a question just randomly about like, hey, like I don't use OmniSend, but hey, I got this question. Do you know someone who might be able to help me here? And I'm like, sure, right? Let me make an intro for you. So like, it's amazing how these things happen. Uh, I, I've become friends with old podcast guests now, which I never thought in the world would ever happen. Uh, but the connections go far. They extend very far. It's a small world, as they say, and it really is a small world. You know, one of the previous guests that we had on the show, uh, this was actually quite a few months ago, if not more than a year, is a is a YouTuber and, and video game streamer. I didn't like, it's not like I went out of my way to to, to talk to one of them. He was, you know, he was, uh, a, he, he was offered a, a, a guest spot. And, and since then, we've become uh, pretty good friends. I do his podcast uh, on, on a week-to-week basis. We've been in like frequent touch. So Getting into an e-commerce podcast, there's a lot of things I didn't think I was going to get a chance to talk about. Video games, <laughs> God, uh, politics once in a while, like all of that stuff. I mean, it's not like the main focus or anything right, when right. it comes up. So uh, what were maybe what were some of the things, some of the conversations that, uh, or, or some of the connections that surprised you that ended up being like maybe e-commerce adjacent or even just really how far off uh, have, have has your uh, journey taken you at times? So, I mean, we've gone, we've done a whole episodes on like direct mail, right? Because direct mail a couple of years ago, and I still think it's, it's around to, to a good degree, but you know, it, I was re- seeing a resurgence. It was just, I was going to my mailbox every day and the volume of mail I was getting was unbelievable. And I'm like, you know, I haven't gotten it for a long time, or at least very few and far between. And I started responding to it and I started noticing it more. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. So mm-hmm. got sorry, that- to, sorry to pause you for a second, but sure. for the uh, for the five-year-olds listening, you're talking about physical mail in your mailbox? Yep. yep. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, just, I just, yeah, I just wanted to confirm that. Okay. Yeah. So there's this thing called the mailbox, which they send these paper things out. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah. You need stamps. It's crazy. You know, we've gone direct mail with it. We've gone how to design retail stores, uh, brick and mortar. So we had um, Harry Cunningham, who works for Vera Bradley. He used to work for Saks, like designing their physical stores. They just launched a thing called Good Market. So shameless plug for Harry and Good Market now. We've kind of gone all over the place. I used to ask these questions. I mean, we've had 20 minute tangents on whether a hot dog is a sandwich and, you know, best karaoke song if, if you're going, right? So it's all about entertainment, right? We got to keep it light. You got to make the guests feel yeah, good. I tilted my head back because I'm just like, oh no, I don't know if I'm ready to weigh in on that discussion. But anyways. Yeah. So we've had someone on who were three American expats who live in Germany that started a brewery. They just opened up a million dollar funding just this past year for a large scale full person. they got two breweries there. They're beating you know, the big German guys to the punch on American pale ales and stuff like that. So like we've gone from brewery to hot dogs, being the sandwiches to designing <laughs> physical retail stores to direct mail. Right. And it's just kind of, you never know what's going to happen from a, a topic standpoint. If it's interesting, talk about it, you know? All right. Well, since the thread was established, I'm, I'm firmly <laughs> in the camp that hot dogs are not sandwiches because my criteria for a sandwich is that the two pieces of bread have to be completely detached from one another. Whereas a hot dog bun is a very specific thing. So maybe it's closer to like a sub, which I so, suppose is a sandwich variant. Oh God, what have I done? So this is where like the delineation comes in, right? Cause you will go from the natural thing is like, well, it's gotta be either connected or it's long. It's, you know, it, it's long, it's not flat around or whatever. And then we start to get in the sub territory and then it's like, well, a sub is a hoagie. So is a hoagie a sandwich or are these different things here? You know, is a cheesesteak? 
which is chopped up, but it's still long is that, you know, that bread's connected there. But I, how many times do you eat a hot dog in the bun? Like, don't you get frustrated when the bun like rips apart at the, the back? And you're like, oh, no, there's nothing. It, it only it. happens if I get like, you know, the, like the dollar store buns. You know, if I, <laughs> if I get like the, 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 you know, the high quality Italian, uh, you know, ciabatta style or not ciabatta, but the, the, the breads, it has a little bit more, you know, uh, strength to Crunch it. Crunch to then, it. Yeah, and, then, yeah, then, yeah. Then, then, then it's okay. But that's more of a sub that, or a hoagie then at that point, right? Because you're getting more like a hoagie roll. Than a hot dog roll. Uh, so it's like a sub, hot dog sub, hoagie. I, I, I see you're going with it with the hoagie. I, I'm in Canada. I'm not sure we even have hoagies available. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, everyone's got their own different thing. I, some people go, "Hey, if it's between two pieces of bread, it's a sandwich, right? Hot dog sandwich yeah, here." Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a sandwich. It's kind of its own thing. Now you say mm-hmm. hot dog. I, I. I think one of the questions I, I posed to someone one time. I said, okay, if you have a bunch of people over for like a football game or a college, you know, whatever, some sort of event, and they say, what are you serving? And you say sandwiches and they show up and all you got is hot dogs there. Like, are they accepting of that? Or are they like, I thought you said we were having sandwiches. This is nothing but hot dogs, right? I think that to yeah. me- Yeah, because my imagination would go all over the place. Like, is it going to be Reuben sandwiches? Is it going to be club sandwiches, BLTs? I mean, if he had just said hot dogs, I would know exactly what I'm, what yeah, I'm yeah. getting into. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's my breaking point, but other people have good arguments as well, but mm-hmm. uh, you can, you feel free to steal the question. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not just, cause it's not just about like the, 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 the humor of having a conversation about something. It's also just about studying human um, psychology and understanding what is a person's thought process. Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's like seeing, going, going to an art museum and, ha- and, you know, five people all have something different to say about the picture. They're all technically right. The point is to understand how each person thinks. And that's, and that's really the, I think the, the underlying motivation to, to have conversations like, you know, pineapple on pizza is cereal is soup and stuff like that. Oh, pineapple and pizza. I, I heard that was invented in Canada. Is that correct? Is If that's so, then, uh, that is one more apology for uh, for, for the book. So although I will say that if they, if there's, if they slice it up, then I, I give it a shot. It's when they chunk things like chunky ham, chunky chicken, chunky okay. pineapple. I, I draw the line at chunks on my pizza. So I had a podcast guest tell me that the Hawaiian pizza was invented in Canada. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. I'm taking this off of a uh, podcast guest, but you would think the Hawaiian would, you know, originated yeah. in Hawaii, but I guess. Yeah. Who knows? But to your point on like the human psychology of things. So, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, you know, that polls are like the big rage now. Right. So I would say probably two months ago, I did a poll on there that I was just playing, I'm playing around with things, trying to figure out, you know, algorithms and how they're working. So LinkedIn post was nothing about business whatsoever. It's like when you, when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, do you put the peanut butter on first? You put the jelly on first. This thing blew up. It blew up. I mean, I was getting a thousand views a uh, an hour on this thing for like two straight days. Uh, there's over a hundred comments on there, and the, the debate was raging for like how people are doing things, and it was nuts. But this goes a uh, part of the one of the com- uh, the comments on that post was like, "Hey, this is really fascinating from a psychology standpoint. Like these mundane, simple things, people have different." One, they have firm beliefs on it, but two, they take very different approaches to how they do things. So, you know, I don't make peanut butter and jelly a lot for myself. I make it for my kids. Ever since then, I started noticing what I do, right? And I think mm-hmm. I, I put the peanut butter on first and then I put the jelly, but I wipe the, you know, I wipe the the knife with the clean piece of bread to go on the jelly. Uh, but it, it's interesting. It's it's just these small things. I have difficulty extracting uh, jelly from the jar with the knife. So uh, one one knife spoon. for the peanut butter and then and then a spoon for the jelly. So, so someone commented that as well. 
to tie this into something else that, we, that you had talked about earlier, because with uh, with Omnisend, you're look at me bringing it back on track. I am I am so good at this. Is on the one side, you know, you're working with mom and pop stores, and that to me would be. And I'm trying to say this in a polite way, but I guess like the, the smallest scale uh, operation that would would use a product. And then on the opposite side of that, you have, I would need you to describe that for me because I don't want to guess and, and and be off by a few metrics. So what, what would be the... The, the polar opposite of the, of the mom and pops. I mean, we have some, we have enterprise brands using Omnisend as well. So we, I would say the majority of ours are good. Majority are, are small, the small to midsize, right? So we have the the entrepreneurs, the solopreneurs, these really small companies who are looking to grow. You know, the majority of those going to small midsize businesses, but we have a, a a good number of enterprise brands as well. Right. And so what I would like to hear about is when, when you're looking at the activity and the, and, and the tactics and the techniques of a small operation versus ones in the larger operation, how can both sides teach one another? What is something that a small operation can learn from a large one and vice versa, if that's the kind of data that you've managed to come across? No. So what's really interesting about this is the stuff we see now are the same things that were happening from a from like a limitation standpoint and kind of a tactical standpoint, the same thing for the most part for the last 10 plus years, right? It's like, how do we do more with less? And even like I worked with, you know, with omni-channel brands, they had a hundred plus location, brick and mortar stores. They were global. They had resources in their marketing department. And what happened ultimately with those brands are there's like two people doing email, Right. One's the graphic designer and the other person's doing everything else. And they're also doing social or paid search on top of it. So a lot of big brands have more resources at their disposal, but not necessarily email marketing resources at their disposal, which are, are very comparable to smaller, you know, smaller mid-sized brands as well. So really the goal becomes how do we do more with less? How do we make progress on things and try to really automate sales as much as possible? And I think automation's been around for you know, at least 15 years, you know, you could do card abandonment 15 years ago, just it's a lot easier now. And I think that's where smaller companies that are looking to either get ahead of larger companies, get uh, close that gap a little bit. This is where the, that opportunity comes in the hand because it could take you five minutes to set up a piece of marketing automation right now. It takes you what, 15 minutes to build an email. The content that I would tell you as, as a consultant the content that you should put in your messages, you probably have that content on your site and in your previous emails already. It's really just a matter of taking it and aggregating and putting it in there. The automation is really the key for smaller companies who want to increase their sales and do it from the background. Now, that automation is not all created equal. So the, the challenge with all companies of all size is you get email marketer or email marketers there and they say, okay, I've got all these automations. There's 20 different things to do. How am I going to do all these things? And they start going through this list of like, all right, let me get a birthday automation. They're like, well, I got to get birthdays and I got to collect that. So now I need a managed preference you know, campaign. The fact is not all automations created equal. Birthday messages, you might get better open rates. You might get maybe better click rates, but not necessarily better conversion rates. And you're sending a lot fewer of them than you are on, say, a card abandonment. There's really three automations that are driving the majority of all revenue. So this is where I would start. Welcome series, one message at a time. Card abandonment, really close to cash, as my friend Lucas Walker would say, uh, fellow Toronto uh, person as well. Um, close to cash, but and then 
uh, browse and product abandonment. And browse and product abandonment, it's increasing in usage. It's still underutilized, in my opinion. It's driving less revenue than, say, those other two. But the really important part here is that welcome is at the beginning of the, the life cycle, that engagement. Card abandonment is pretty close to conversion, right? And then you've got this gap in the middle. And that gap is traditionally where you find social media ads, uh, search ads, uh, batch and blast promotional campaigns. The browse abandonment kind of fits in the middle there. Someone's browsing, they're not carding stuff, and you kind of keep that relevant message again. And so those three things, if you implement those three messages, most brands are going to be fine. And I think the thing with larger companies where they might have more resources, they might have more dollars behind them, they might more have more graphic design departments, is that a lot of times those marketers are kind of uh, handcuffed because they have higher level reporting metrics they need to hit. They've got bigger fish to fry, right? Uh, increasing your email marketing sales a half a percent or 1% on a welcome series is not earth shattering. So that email marketer is trying to hit certain goals. So if I'm spending X amount of time doing like a second welcome message, or I'm just going to choose Walmart, it's a bad example, but for Walmart, they're reporting up and like, hey, I, I created a second welcome message and the boss is going, well, what does that mean for? It takes a while to grow those things. So I think that's where they kind of get stuck in the mud a little bit is we need bigger projects with bigger results quicker. Let's leave the fundamental stuff that ultimately, if you wait three months, you're going to see some of those bigger results. Smaller companies realize this. They don't have as many resources to execute, but they know, hey, there's a certain plan here and it's easy to execute. I just need to spend an hour a week or two hours a week doing these things. And in three months, I'll have all the stuff done, right? And I'm rocking a roll. And I think, I don't know if that answers the question, but I tried to frame it in the best way possible. The automation is the key for all of it. But I think smaller companies have an advantage over the larger companies to be able to execute these things because it's easier for them to move on these things. So uh, I'll definitely uh, ask you about the the browse product because I think there's an interesting correlation or uh, not correlation, but there is, is a reflection of a certain part of the shopping, the in-person shopping experience. So I'll get to that. Um, but one of the things that I took away, and I'm actually kind of surprised that I hadn't thought about this earlier for the last like year and a half. But when you're talking about you know a, a small operation, there's success that you're after, but to a point, right? Because if things start going a little too well, and then all of a sudden you have more orders and you can fulfill. And now you actually have to start sending out apologies. So sending out, sorry, we have to cancel your order. So I do think that there is an interesting dynamic there where smaller businesses have to actually be somewhat mindful of how quickly their operation grows and how much success that they actually get. So, uh, and then at the same time, you know, uh, larger businesses, I think they have to deal with that same thing. You know, there's, it's not like people are just materializing product out of thin air, everything is connected. Kind of like at the point that you're making earlier that all your marketing areas and everything you do in the business is connected on, on the holistic scale throughout the whole world, everything is still connected. So that's, that's something that, 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 that came to my mind. It actually didn't, like I said, it didn't occur to me for, for quite some time. I would say in general, and this isn't always the case, it's going to be a relatively blanket statement, which is probably unfair, but it's also mostly true. But if you're scared to grow, you're not going to grow right? It's either grow or shrink. Uh, if you're staying stagnant. So are you going to, are you going to create a welcome series that converts at a high level? And are you going to grow your list so incredibly fast? You're not going to be able to keep up with those orders. If so, you're probably not, you probably should be doing email marketing. You're probably way too small to even be worried, worrying about that. Like you got to figure out production. You got to figure out something, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're making your own candles by yourself or something. And then you got a thousand orders, you're like, uh oh, 
that's a bigger issue there, right? I don't think email marketing is your problem. Then it just tells me email marketing is working really well for you, right? You should probably right, yeah. focus on other things. So I would say for the most part, don't be scared to grow. But if you can grow, this is the thing with like if you're a small company, you're not implementing three automated series in full scale all at one time. You're if you're doing it right, you're doing one message at a time, letting it send, and then you're adding a second message and letting it send. Theoretically, you do a message a week and you've got three different series with, say, we'll just say four messages a series, probably overkill. But in three months, you're gradually increasing your sales, but you're also optimizing over a course of three months. So if you can't figure your stuff out in three months and you're planning on increasing your sales, you want to increase your sales, but you can't keep up with production or something. That's not a sale. That, that's not a sales issue. That's a production issue. It's a poor business planning issue right now. So you're not going to send me an email. And I'm like, I'm buying ten thousand products right now, or I'm putting a purchase order in for a million dollars worth of products, right? That that's kind of those outlier situations. So I wouldn't be scared to grow. Yeah, I I I, I appreciate that. And I guess the way that I would reframe it is not to look at the sales as you know this um, mystical element that we don't actually have, like. A control over it's it's a metric and it's a factor that ha- that all of this work that we put into across uh, what I what I've talked with you when I talked with hundreds of other people so far is that your sales is something that you want to be uh, in as much control of as possible. Yeah. You want to understand your your growth trajectory and you want to be ready for it at each uh, at each passing point. So I'm gonna shameless plug, but it's it's free, so it's not like we're we're capturing information from you. So we were talking offline before this. I'm like, hey, we just put out a stats report. Uh, this past week, right? So if you go to omnisend.com resources reports, right? We don't gate it. It's just open, publicly available for you. So we look at all the emails our brand send out, SMS, push messages. Um, so put this in, in context. We, this past year, 2021, 12 billion emails we sent. We also looked at these in the billions of emails years before, 63 million SMS, 54 million web push notifications. So a lot of a lot of data, right? I think here is kind of understanding benchmarks to some degree, like what are your expectations for, let's just use, uh, let's use card abandonment, right? We used welcome before, let's talk about card abandonment, right? So we know we're going to have higher conversion rates because people are much further down that purchase funnel, right? They've decided you just need to overcome those objections. If you understand, like you're not going to convert 100% of people, it's just not going to happen. You're going to lose customers, you're going to win some, you're going to use other channels to kind of suck those retargeting back in, right? But if you understand the goal, Say, okay, we're going to have this two message card abandonment series go out. And we expect that, you know, out of the every thousand people we send to, we'll get, you know, half to open, we'll get 25% of those to clicks. Now we're really looking at what, if I did my math correctly, 250,000 or 250 people of the thousand that'll actually take an action there. And then we're going to convert maybe a quarter of those. So now we're looking at 125. If you say, okay, it's unfair, but let's project 125 orders for every thousand emails we send. And we send, you know, we've got a thousand card ab- abandoned carts a month, right? So we're saying, okay, you have a general project and say, I need to be able to fulfill a growth of 125 extra orders every single month, right? Can I do that? And then you layer on another one on top of that and you figure out, okay, if I convert off the welcome, it's another hundred, but how many of those welcome people might have abandoned? So you kind of like Robin Peter or pay Paul a little bit. Like I think if you have a very loose framework for understanding how these messages convert in the grand scheme and then apply it to your business, it, it provides a better growth, maybe even just a comfort level for that business to say, okay, if we do this one next, we might anticipate a little uptick. We're not ready for that. Let's do something else instead. 
or maybe let's optimize this one to kind of get them in the, the front end where we know we're still going to get some trail off and then that'll help us seamlessly grow or like built into that growth. So I think if you look at metrics, they're not a uh, gold standard to look at, but it's a framework, right? It's a baseline to say, okay, we're going to have a plus minus error of 5% here, right? But this is generally where we want to be. I think that's the benefit of, of things like that. And, and I think that's always been the struggle of any analytical program is, you know, they're doing their best to give you as much information as possible, but there's so many factors and variables that go into a person's behavior. Like if you were just looking at, say, the analytics for a YouTube video and somebody clicks off after the first three seconds, there is a hundred thousand reasons why that happened. Here, the power went mm -hmm. out. Maybe they got a phone call. Maybe they said, oh, wait, oh, wrong video. Yep. And so, you know, you're doing your best to understand this, which is why it's important to actually have you know, uh, larger scale projections, not try to do this on a single person by person basis, because that's just a waste of time and energy. But once you have, a, you know, a large enough um, a demographic and a large enough segmentation, you're making a much more educated guess overall. So one of the things we always put in our reports, and this is kind of one of these like bullet point talking points I always like uh, talk about is I always look at, and I did the same thing when I was consulting, I would look at companies revenue from the email side and see where it's coming from. Okay. You're making X percent on your schedule promotional sense. So something you just schedule up manually to go on a Tuesday or Thursday or whatever. And then how much percent, what percentage of your email sales are coming from automated messages? And we look at that, that ratio and say, okay, this is where we're at. This is kind of like our ballpark for where I want to get you to. And this is where, where do you want to be with this? Right? So mm -hmm. we're figuring if everything, say I send 10 more automated messages than I did last week. And all I'm doing is sucking orders from my promotional to my automated side. And our orders stay flat. What is the percentage breakdown I want that to be, right? So if I skip two sends this week, I kind of have a realistic notion of how much revenue I'm still keeping because it's running in the background. And then we can say, okay, if I know where I want to be, that kind of gives you your blueprint for where where your next step or building your email or your SMS or your push message program is going to be. It's like, okay, am I 5% of my revenue coming on automated messages or am I 40% or am I 30%? The kind of work. And, and that's a good way to kind of look at it because right now, if you're not doing any automation, 100% is coming from your promotional messages. You've got to stay consistent with it. Otherwise, your sales will drop, right? Or you're spending more on paid search activities or paid social activities, which is generally more expensive than email marketing. So we want to take that and we want to break it down. So in 2020, looking at that, we had about 29% of all brands email orders came on automated messages. These messages accounted for like 1.8% of email sends. So 29% of orders came on less than 2% of email sends. Doing the work in the background. 2021, we're right around the same figure, 29.6 on 2.2%. So if you think about 29% of sales on 2% of sends, I think it's a good number to be. I always used to, with my clients, I used to go at 70, 30, 60, 40. Like if we can get the 30, can we get the 31? We always go up by one. But that was generally where I tried to get my clients to. Because if you miss a send, you still got 30% of your revenue coming in, right? Or I could just choose to send less and not lose any money. But now I'm, I'm saving time by not having to code an email and create an email and, and build it and schedule it out and segment it out. Right? I'm just saving an hour, hour and a half of my day because I've got the automation coming in. It's relevant. It's behavior-based. And now I don't have to send people quite as much. right? And I can spend my time elsewhere optimizing other parts of my business. 
And when we speak to our customers, that's always what ultimately comes up. Less time doing this, more time growing the business, right? And more time doing things that I need to do. And I think that's the other component of marketing automation, whether it's email, whatever it is, is it gives you more time to focus on like those core business things you need to do to grow your business rather than the marketing aspect of things. Let's make sure that we have use some time to talk about the Abraz product. So initially, yep. when you described that to me, I drew an association, which upon reflection is false, but I'll say it anyways, which is somebody is in a retail store and it's that middle point between they've been welcomed into the store and they've decided whether or not they're going to buy or not. And you have salespeople who are speaking with them in the interim and helping them make up their mind, sell them on the company, sell them on the features of the product. Now, the reason why this is actually not all that accurate is because we're discussing what happens when they leave. Um, right. And so salespeople, uh, you know, they don't exactly like leave the store and be like, hey, hand in a second, you forgot to have a look at this one. So that doesn't work. Um, however, I am interested in hearing about this because this is the first time that I've had really a chance to talk about this, this middle point. And it sounds like it's still rather um, frontier territory for, for, for your company. So what's the, what's the project here? What's the goal? Yeah, so I, I always like the frame it as like online window shoppers, right? You're checking out something, maybe something more specific, but you're not really, you're not putting it in your shopping cart. You're not, you know, physical shopping cart. You're carrying it around. You're right. From an online standpoint, I go to your website. I'm checking out, you know, coffee mugs or whatever, you know, whatever it could be. I don't cart the product, but then I leave your site. So we can we can now trigger messages to that consumer to say, hey, checking out, and we could either do category or products. They're both options available for you. So product is Greg is checking out free hugs coffee mug, right? And you can send me a message be like, hey, you know, free hugs caught your eye. Everyone loves free hugs. I say that because my son got my free hugs coffee mug for Christmas. Uh, it's my my new tea mug now. So, you know. It's very specific to the product I was looking at, but we know something there. I didn't put it in my cart. So something, there was an obstacle there, right? I clicked the wrong link using your YouTube example, wrong product, not interested. Don't like the price. Didn't like the design. There's a million reasons. Power went out. The other way is category specific, right? So I'm checking coffee mugs versus, you know, versus coffee makers or shoes instead of dresses, right? So it's very, it's higher level. We could do the same thing and just send you a more general message around like, hey, top-rated coffee mugs, right? And it kind of encompasses all coffee mugs, not necessarily the one I'm viewing. So really what this is feeding into is, you know, hey, we know there's some level of interest there by the, by the consumer. Something in their life took them to your website at that time. Something in their life made them check out certain products or certain categories of products. They just weren't ready to buy right there. And that could be a slew of reasons, right? They could be price shopping. They could have seen a social ad. Right, that drove them over there. But I'm interested. So this kind of fills that gap. And, and how I always relate it to people, because one of the biggest concerns that companies will tell you is these questions I used to get was, well, I don't want to annoy my customers, you know, by sending them a message. And I would say, well, you're going to send to them anyways. Like, are you going to schedule a message to them next week? And then we'll go, yes. And I'm like, is it segmented to their interests? No. I'm like, well, wouldn't you rather send them a relevant message based on something they're actively doing? Or have, it's a behavior-based message, right? It's timely to them than a batch and blast message that may or may not be relevant to them, right? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, 
there's your answer. All right. Send them the automated message and guide them down. And part of the strategy with these messages is overcome whatever objections you think there might be, right? So use social proof. Talk about, you know, show star ratings and customer testimonials on there. Remind them about your value, your company value ads. They may have been a customer of yours. They may not be a customer of yours. They may be a loyal customer of yours. So like tout those value ads, make them feel comfortable in purchasing, uh, you know, tout those return policies or free shipping. But, you know, if it's something where it's a little more specific, like a sofa or something more complex, talk about the product quality or, you know, all these different attributes of the product or category products themselves. And those are things you want to get them back to the cart or you're back to the website to check it out again. And maybe they won't buy and that's okay. Right. Maybe they'll put in their cart and not check out, but then you have your cart abandonment to kind of fill that gap and, and things there. So, you know, it's, it's increasingly being utilized by brands, Omnisend clients and not Omnisend clients. Um, five years ago, slowly increasing, totally underutilized. I would say right now, you know, if I had to guess, pure guess, right? Take this for whatever it is, right? And just all brands, not Omnisend clients. I'd probably say 20% of brands are probably using these, 80% are not. But daily, I seem to be getting new ones or people are adding them to their messages. So I'm signed up for like 500 email programs. I got my own Gmail account just for this. And I just monitor stuff Mm -hmm. and I'll click on emails and I'll bounce around and I want to see who's got them. And I I increasingly see more and more people sending me browse abandonment messages. So um, still underutilized, but still super important. And it's behavior-based and it fills that gap. And this is why I think more brands are catching on to the value of these things. And they are one of the higher performing messages that you're going to send from an automated standpoint. Is there any way to uh, determine which of the messages are sent based off time? Like if somebody is just looking at it for a couple of seconds, it could be an accident. But if they're there for 20 seconds to 30 seconds, there might be a little bit more interest versus a minute versus two minutes. Not easily right now. So you can set parameters to say, hey, don't send it if they've only checked at one time, right? So if you want to see if they've gone back to us a second time or even timing over a, a period of span, right? You could say, hey, if they check out this category or this product, two times in the last three months. Like you could do things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more complex to do. Just to, to start the timer. Time. Then, yeah. 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 Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So one thing that um, stuck out to me, you know, you're describing that 20% are using it, 80% are not. And that trend is moving towards the uh, using it. I think part of the reason why this is important is to help with some of that email fatigue, where I think uh, a lot of online consumers have grown accustomed to the welcome messages and they've probably had their fair share of abandoned cart messages, uh, which is, you know, it, it's an issue uh, in of itself. But I think one of the ways to resolve that is to find unique ways to have a dialogue with that customer that they're not used to. And it shows that a business is keeping more, or it's just, they're looking for more ways to connect with their, with their consumer. There's so many different things you can do here as well. So you're right. It's a touch point kind of in that middle where, like I mentioned earlier, this is normally where your batch and blast promotional messages come in, right? This is where you communicate with that customer via email is between the welcome and the cart or the welcome, the purchase, right? That, and that's not segmentation is doable. Some brands use it. Some brands use it sparingly. It's really hard for one or two email marketers to scale segmented emails full time because if you segment four different ways you need four e- image creatives you need four different things you get it's time consuming and people will do it for a while and they fall off because it's just not it's not scalable for like one person i would automation is a new segmentation because they're naturally segmented 
they're behavior-based, so you know they're timely, they're relevant. It doesn't replace segmentation, but it gets you a lot closer to where you want to be. And these browse abandonment messages kind of fit that middle ground. So yeah, if I'm sending four times a week and I'm worried about email fatigue, do I need to send four times? Can I make as much revenue sending three times a week knowing these browse abandonment messages will really drive the remainder of the sales of that fourth message because only people probably purchasing on that fourth message are probably the ones who are on my website you know, this week browsing and stuff. So that's part of the idea is that we use automation to kind of lessen our reliance. That's always the term I use with, with customers. Can we lessen our reliance on promotional messages and still not sacrifice revenue? And in fact, we want to grow revenue at the same time, right? Can we do that? And I think that helps offset that fatigue and it helps offset, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially if you're paying per email, right? If, if you're paying to send every thousand emails, well, if I could send 20,000 less emails, how much am I saving here? And are my sales being cannibalized? And the answer is no. You're actually coming out ahead, right? You're reducing those costs even more. And and I think one of the challenges too with promotional emails is it's a lot of content to write. Yep. You know, if someone wants you, you pretty much it gets to a point where you'll need a dedicated writer to ha- constantly be able to put out you know high quality material for for consumers to read. Um, so so that is a, a challenge, and that can definitely be a drain on energy. So one thing uh, to keep in mind. So we actually hit an hour, and as you know, I always ask I went fast. if it's yeah, is it is it a, a, a you know like a, like a loose hour or a tight hour, but, uh, how many, how many more minutes could I feasibly steal you for? I'm here for you, Joseph, man. You, you let me know. Okay. Fantastic. I don't work. Uh, so so <laughs> if anything, I guess I can base it off my hunger. So one of the, one of the things that you mentioned, um, was, uh, was web put no, web push notifications. Yeah. And I just wanted to get a little bit of clarity on that because I, I, I don't actually know what to picture when I think of web push. I know what I think of when I email an SMS, but for some reason, I don't think we've I've, I've had anybody talk to me about it before. Yeah. So you, you probably get these all the time. So you go to a website and it's like, Hey, would you like to receive notifications from a allow block? Right. Those are really your web push notifications. So you click allow, they're able to, it's opt-in, right. But they're able to then send you messages. So, uh, I think you used a good example before where, you know, whether you're on the site or not on the site, they can send you these messages, but you talked about, Hey, if I walk into a store, I'm kind of there and the sales associate might want to help me out. Online, you've got live chat, you might have a chat bot, but you don't really have that interaction. Well, this is this is a use case where this could serve as like part of your sales rep type stuff, right? You could have a notification pop up if you visit a certain page or category, or if you're in the checkout process, right? And maybe you're scared they're going to leave. You could have something come up there to say, hey, you know, complete your purchase now. Here's 10% off. Like you can use these in these cases as well, but they're the ones that are going to show up on, say, your laptop screen. Right, pop it up. They don't necessarily have to be on your site. So here is like part of the beauty of OmniSend is, and this is just how far automation has come over the years in general, is that you used to have automation for email, right? And then, uh, I mean, years ago with my previous company as well, we were able to put SMS to the same thing. It's a lot more, it's a lot better now than it was. But our automations, you can put web push notifications intermixed with all these things, so all your channels into one automation workflow. So. Yeah, if they're emailing a subscriber, they just get the email series. If they're emailing SMS, we can then, you know, toggle back and forth. We can tweak it out how we want. If they're email, SMS, and web push notifications, we can then trigger web push notifications whenever we want, you know, in whatever flow and to kind of intermix these things. So, you know, the thing about web push notifications, they're growing rapidly. The usage in 2020 over 2019 exploded. This year, 
exploded even more. And part of that is one, it's still inexpensive. It's still kind of a newer, if you will. So people are playing around with it, but they're getting a lot more intrigued by it because they're trying to find ways to stand out. I made 54 million web push. You asked me two years ago, we're going to send 50 more, 54 million web push in a year. And I'm going to go, no way, right? not in the next two years. And we hit that mark. But we're seeing a lot more messages be used. This, this is email, SMS last year, specifically web push, specifically inside of automation. So they're growing on just like promotional sends, your scheduled sends, uh, but they're growing a lot more rapidly in the automation side of things, which is interesting. And this is where people are figuring out, yeah, automated series are doing really well. Why don't I put other channels in there too, right? And even if that is to drive people to your email, hey, check out our email for XYZ, but you automate that to make it timely different touch points. That's where companies are finding the value. Now, web push is still new. I still think we're a ways from really this being fully adopted by brands and consumers, to be honest with you. Like there's a couple that I click allow to, most of them I click block. I just don't think from a consumer I'm there yet, uh, except for some brands, those ones that maybe I really like those brands. So now they've got a different channel into me. But I think this is where we've we've seen over the last year and a half brands experimenting where to use them and, and how to use them successfully. Abandoned cart workflows, we're finding brands use them more. And we're finding brands have a lot of success with them. You know, with other like a birthday workflow, we're finding less success with them. Right. So I think these are going to be a little more use case specific than say email and SMS will. It's going to be a little more targeted. It's going to be a little more specific. And I think that's where companies are going to find the success, but they're still playing with it, right? And we're still trying to figure out how users will adopt it. I don't think it's going to be like SMS where SMS is an email. They're just ways people communicate now, right? SMS marketing is not going anywhere. Brands, if you're listening to this and you're not doing it, you should do it because you're going to find yourself trailing and falling further behind. It's no longer super expensive, which is the beauty of it. Um, but it is here. It's ubiquitous form of conversation. My, so I was in Buffalo, uh, for a football game. It was like 70 mile an hour winds about a month ago. It's a good time of year to go up there. Apparently I, I made this decision, um, regretted it for a little while, <laughs> but I'm laying around visiting my parents because my parents are still living up there. And, you know, we're just lounging around and my mother's phone's beeping and she's, you know, she's, I always like tease her for being old, right? She's not that old, but, uh, only cause I'm creeping up there in age, but she's like reading the text out loud. And she, they're all from brands that she's opting into. And so she's a baby boomer and she's getting SMS marketing messages and she's responding to them right away and reading them. Everyone's using them. Like everyone texts and that's the thing. Uh, push notifications. I don't think we'll ever really be there with them, but I think they are going to have a place that's going to serve a really good purpose. But I don't think it's ever, it's just my opinion, will ever be like SMS where it's going to be a ubiquitous form of conversation. But they're useful, right? And I think companies can find a little leg up there if they want to play around with them. I, I guess my my in my interpretation of it is the difference between when uh, you know a person is receiving email or SMS, it is on their on their own time, it is on their own terms, and it's on their own turf. Whereas a web push seems to be more on the leaning more towards the business side. It's more likely that you're going to be within the controlled environment experience of the business, and so their notifications there might be more. Uh, cultured and curated to what message they want to convey within that within that experience. I think it's a fair way to look at it. Yeah, very much so. And you know, I will say that it is an opt-in channel, which is really important. I think that is a place where social media it's a push channel, right? People don't go there looking for ads. If you sign up for email, 
you're asking for ads. Now on social, right, people respond to ads there now, right? It's just part of the part of the experience. So with with push, email, SMS, the concerns, I would say it's opt-in. If people don't want them, they don't have to opt into them. They don't have to get those messages. If they opt into them, they do. Like it's a way to communicate with them and they can always opt out and leave them at any time. So I think your assessment of it, 100% spot on. Push is going to be a little more on the company's terms than the individual turn, but they are that doesn't make it a bad thing because people are opting in to receive those messages. If they're clicking block, they're not getting them. Right. So you've got a little bit of a foot in the door in, in that respect. Is, 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 it, is it possible to incentivize people for this or is it more like legal where you have to? Okay. Because I was, I was thinking it's more along the lines of like cookies where you have to accept or deny cookies where same thing with this. Because one of the main ways to get people into email is, you know, you offer them a discount or you offer them some sort of uh, promotion. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit more difficult, but there's, I mean, there's ways around that with um, like, it's not a consent. It's, it's not a, uh, liability thing, but there's ways to, you know, whether you want to do it in like welcome message as well, where you can kind of ask people to opt in the stuff, just like you would for SMS or something. So there's, there's ways to kind of make that happen. You could do it on the pop-up too. Like if you have mm-hmm. a pop-up sign up coming up, right. When you log on, like you could just put that in there, remind people to, to allow for opt-in as well. And, you know, provide them a different setup for that point. But yeah, if they opt in, you can have something trigger off that that says, "Hey, thanks for opping in. Here's twenty percent off your you know your next purchase." Excellent. I'm glad. Glad I. I, I to be to be honest, I thought I was just going to get like the 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 web series definition of uh, of push notifications, but it really there's a, there's a lot there a lot going on there. So we're gonna start wrapping this bad boy up first. Uh, this is more of like um like a predictive question, you know, looking into the future kind of question. Um, you know, with a with a name like OmniSend, I I get the impression that as time goes on and new platform and new messaging platforms emerge, like what we just talked about, you know, you want to be adaptive to it. So um, are, is there anything um, beyond, you know, web push notifications that uh, you're keeping your eye on? Anything down the line that you think might be relevant? Maybe in, let's say like give it two to three years, give it five years. So from a marketing perspective, I think we're going to be relatively, I don't say stagnant. As a company, we're not saying we're, we're working on tons of stuff as a company from integrating, uh, you know, Amazon, sellers into pulling that data and, and connecting those things with your your e-commerce store and for what you do you know with Omnisend as well uh, always expanding our capabilities within e-com platform so those things aren't going anywhere we're always going to continue accelerating there i think from a general marketing sense right if you look from the whole pie what's going to change in the next 5 years honestly i don't think you're going to see dramatic shifts any one way to the from one way to the other. I think maybe the biggest opportunity where you might have a dramatic shift and we'll see, kind of see how it plays out is uh, I, I did a, a TV interview on this topic last week. I wrote about this about four years ago. So I, I'm like, I'm glad to see some things are coming true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it might've been my 10 year prediction. So maybe 25. So I might be right on pace with it. I think what e-commerce has the ability to do from a VR standpoint, like VR shopping. I think that is going to be, I don't say huge, but I think that's going to be a thing, right? And it's going to be a big thing. And I, I would not be surprised 10 years from now if he, someone's job, just like they design a brick and mortar store, you will have people whose sole job is to design a VR store. So you think about natural traffic flows through a store and how they're going to you know, pick up products and view products. I think there's going to be an opportunity there for brands and we're seeing luxury brands start to do this already. You know, this isn't anything new, but I think as VR headsets become more adopted and I think they will, I got one for Christmas this year. 
Uh, my wife, for whatever reason, was obsessed with it. And we're like, oh, okay, we're doing it. I think this is where we're going to see a pretty big play. I think it'll be big on the entertainment side of things, but I think we're going to have some e-commerce capabilities there. Something's always going to emerge. It's probably going to be maybe a new niche social site. I don't think we're going to see really big social sites pop up like TikTok anymore. I think we're kind of beyond those days, to be honest with you. There mm-hmm. might be one, but you know, it, it's really hard to project, but I, I don't think we're going to see a dramatic shift any one place than the other. I think we're going to see email continue to accelerate and continue to be adopted as a thing. I think SMS will continue to grow. Two years from now, we'll see how, kind of how it plays out from a plateau level. I think automation from email is going to keep being up. As, uh, push notifications, we'll see what happens with them. I think they'll have its place, like I mentioned, probably not ubiquitous. The interesting thing to me to watch is really social media targeting. Right, because we're seeing a lot of pushback on companies now, especially these large companies, Microsoft and Activision. Uh, you know, that acquisition, we're seeing kind of these larger conglomerates. You know, antitrust is pushing back on them now. How the advertising dollars with that data collection is really going to data collection and usage of that to me is the interesting thing to watch. Right, and I think this is where opt in channels really come in. There's been a real big push this last year from. D2C brands realizing that can I can I aggregate as much stuff into one platform as possible, right? So I don't have data here. I don't have data. You, you reduce those data silos. We are on top of this. We have for years now have email SMS push in the one platform, right? We can segment off that data. We can look at how it interacts. We can also push out and sync, uh, not hourly, but you know every 15 minutes to Facebook audiences with those three pieces of data. We can also sync out to Google ad properties, right? So we've got Facebook, Instagram, Google properties, you know, YouTube and all that stuff on top of email, SMS and push all on the one platform, right? And it's for whoever. And I think having that data in one place is really important from reducing costs, but also as we start getting into more acquisitions on all these platforms that are collecting and aggregating user data, how that is going to impact your ad spend on these different channels and to me, that's the biggest, like, that's the area I'm looking at to see what happens with that stuff. Because I think that's going to have a trickle down effect on companies like us or companies that do any sort of like other sort of marketing, uh, not on those different platforms. Just real quick, you know, you, you brought up the uh, the Microsoft um, uh, acquisition of uh, Activision, who I previously you know, acquired uh, Blizzard, which I, I grew up playing a lot of their Blizzard games, not so much anymore. The gaming ecosystem that Microsoft is trying to create here is going to be an interesting thing to watch for um, because with, with Nintendo, Nintendo does their own thing, but with uh, Microsoft and Sony, a lot of the, uh, this will be relevant, I promise, a lot of the, the games that come out are available on both systems. So it's been difficult for both of them to really distinguish themselves as much as Nintendo has been able to, you know, on the one hand, Microsoft, I guess they, the Xbox is distinguished by Halo and Mountain Dew and Sony by, you know, Uncharted. So it's going to be interesting seeing that challenge for both companies now to figure out how do they actually distinguish their identities further. And I think that's going to, they're going to need that in order to market properly with it. I don't have, it's interesting. It's not interesting. I just don't have an answer for this stuff. Like, I don't know where it's going. I, I can yeah. project some of this stuff and it comes to fruition. I, they make moves. I'm like, what are they doing here? And then that really works out well for them. And I'm like, I didn't see that coming, right? I was way off the board on that one. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I'm not a huge gamer anymore. Like, I was never really a huge gamer, but I go back to my youth. I was big in the video games. I'm less into it now. 
I just kind of follow. I still play the Nintendo from time to time, which is crazy. Oh, Super Bowl, man. It's fun. It's interesting to see how this stuff is shaping out, but like this is a business in itself, right? It is a huge, huge billion, multi-billion dollar business. At some fashion, as these acquisitions happen, they are going to start bleeding to each other. I think we're going to see some sort of some sort of ad spend. Like I can I can imagine, I would say like makeup or cosmetics or something. Like there's some sort of gaming system or some game that audience is wearing that stuff and they're going to find a way to advertise in there. Same with like, I don't know, tactical gear or whatever it might be on, you know, Halo or something like there's, there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some permeation there when that happens, how it happens. I have no earthly idea though. Right. No, I, yeah. And that's why I, I, I characterize this as this is more for fun. This is just predictive prediction, seeing what's, what's going to happen. So cool. I, uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I had to I promise to my audience is, you know, if I'm going to go off traffic, I got to like, don't worry guys, I'll make it relevant. I swear. So anyways, um, with all of that uh, out of the way, I'm going to, um, give you our, our closing question. It's two parts. Part A is if there's say like a, 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 bit of wisdom or a Chinese proverb or something that's been really sticking in your mind lately, um, feel free to share it and then let the audience know how they can make contact with you. Okay. So I don't have a, uh, like a Chinese proverb or anything. I don't live by quotes. One of the things, and it's not a quote unquote quote, right? It's not perfectly scripted, but one of the things I always used to say is like, is what you're doing today going to help you tomorrow? Right. And I think that's good in life. I think it's also good in business. We talk about you know, if I, I pull it back to email marketing here or SMS marketing, I, we had this conversation earlier about one message at a time, implement one thing at a time. And in three months, look back and go, hey, man, I did a lot and my sales are increasing. It's what you're doing today, helping you tomorrow. So apply it to life as well, right? Do you need to develop a new skill? Do you need to, or do, is there something, yeah, look at speaking, right? I said, hey, I didn't know how to get there, but it's something that was always in the back of my mind. And when I was looking at taking a job or switching jobs and taking a pay cut or like when I change careers from radio into marketing or moving positions in a company. And there's like a lot of uncertainty with that. You try to project out is what I'm doing today going to help that tomorrow. And if the, you know, you follow that path. So I think it's good in life and business, you know, matter what you do. So I would, I would leave you with that. Contact me. I'm pretty much an open book. You can, you can uh, just Google me and get all the contact, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm active on Twitter, half sports, half business. Uh, love the bills. Feel free to to go bills me or, or tell me I'm terrible. Um, either way, there's usually no middle ground there. You know, feel free to find me there. LinkedIn, Twitter, I'm on Instagram, which is, I don't really do much on there other than just uh, family stuff. So feel free to find me there. Check out Omnisign if you're interested in email marketing, of course, especially if you're a Shopify owner. I'm also, if you're a Shopify, um, you want a little more tactical stuff in your Shopify customer. I just launched a, um, again, it's free, but Shopify Learns. It used to be Shopify Compass, program or educational instructional videos on uh, the Shopify Learn system. I just launched a course talking about uh, welcome, browse, and cart abandonment. It comes free with downloadable worksheets that'll guide you through creating and asking you the right questions on these things as well. So check me out over there. Uh, but you can find all that stuff just by by Googling me and omnisend.com. Easy enough. Fantastic. Whether you're uh, you're into scaling your business or 
uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, Greg Zakowitz has it covered. So, uh, Greg, it's been uh, it's been fantastic having this conversation with you. Talking to fellow podcasters is always a, a unique beast um, because you know both of us have that inclination to you know maneuver around with the, with the conversation. It's always fun to talk to another podcaster. So, uh, all all that said, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. This was awesome. I enjoyed the conversation. So you go on some of these things, and sometimes they're they're very I, we're we were chatting offline. It's like. I got to get to this question, move to this question, move to this question. It's not flowing. Yeah, I love I mean, the conversation. Yeah. It was good. At end of the day, you know, I am still on the clock, right? So there's there's a part of me that says, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, I, I got re- to reframe it. My, my audience and, and the guests can always tell when it's like, it's super deliberate when I get like, all right, uh, here we go, back on track. N- yeah. Nonetheless, I feel like we have a really good balance uh, here on the show. And so it's, uh, it means it means a lot to me to be able to do it and really to be able to have this uh, this conversation with so many great people. So. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you having me. So Fantastic. this was awesome. Fantastic. All right. To my audience, you know what I'm about to say, unless this is your first time, this is an strap yourself in, but it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information, use it for my own benefit. You better believe I do. But of course, use it for all of your benefits as well. So to anybody who's been listening, you're always, always, always welcome to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, one more thank you to my guest, Greg Zakowitz for the road. And with that, take care. And we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.